Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is Wade Grinninger. We are in uh, my shop studio tonight doing things just a little bit different. First of all, I want to apologize. Uh, we're just a quick minute behind right now as far as getting podcasts out. A couple of reasons. Not going to make excuses, but one, it is hunting season and smack dab in the middle of some of the best hunting that you're going to find all year long. And two, we are vamping up for some awesome bow release podcasts. Uh, new models right around the corner, even, even as of next week. Uh, coming out with some great ones. Matthews and Bowtech released a couple. Hoyt's coming out here later, uh, maybe closer to Christmas time, December in there. Elite's already got some new ones out. So anyways, we've just been kind of banking and making some good ones. It's kind of hard to get in time with everybody because we're in an outdoor industry. And believe it or not, a lot of the guys that are building bows and, and manufacturing and marketing, they hunt as well. So getting everybody lined up. But today we're going to do um, <clears throat> something that's pretty dear to my heart. I am, uh, I'm going to start off by saying I am not a professional archer. I don't make a living being or shooting targets. I do shoot with the pros that do it for a living and I shoot with them often. And I am not a professional hunter, but uh, I've had some success over the last many years I guess you could say and just a lot of things in and out but we're gonna we're not gonna touch and dabble we might get into a story here at the end just to wrap things up today's gonna be short and sweet but just giving you a little mid-season practice um, and the reason I say that this is key I see a lot of my buddies uh, myself once in a while I fall into this category but once season starts as we quit practicing and I think that's probably the worst thing that you can have happen in your your yearly setup, I guess you could say. we uh, It's not, not as nice a weather, I understand that. We're not in our Crocs and a quiver full of arrows shooting in 75-degree nights with an adult beverage next to us, and uh, it's not as convenient. But I will tell you, from September 1st on out, rather you're out west or here in the Midwest or east or wherever it may be, is your mid-season practice, and we're going to throw in the word preparation as well, is almost more than more important now than it was pre. And I'll tell you why. Because a lot of things change <clears throat> in your attire, your setups, the way that you're hunting, where you're hunting, uh, less foliage. You got to be, there's just so many variables that you can throw into the mix. So as far as equipment, preparation we talk about, we got our new bows, we got our new equipment, new strings, we got new arrows, broadheads, the whole kit and caboodle in August and we were practicing and we're hitting tacks at 50 yards and we're, we're just loving it. Everything is going great. Then we go on a couple of hunts and maybe, maybe shoot a doe or we have early season success and just so many things can happen to your equipment from putting it in and out of the truck side by side, walking out in the field, up and down into the tree or the blind, uh, little things can get bumped and you don't even know it. Um, just, you have to pay attention to your equipment first and foremost at archery country. And of course this is a selfish plug, but it is, we, uh, we take a lot of pride in doing things right. And if you have an opportunity or you ever question it, just bring in your bow and arrow. We can paper tune. Uh, we can look things over. We can give it a once over real quick, just a little mid season, I guess, brush up if you want to call it, but things that you can do at home, uh, obviously look at your bow and look at your strings and make sure nothing has, you know, been cut or your peep hasn't moved. And uh, your bow, a lot of times what people, they may not do or they'll put it on our shoulders and that's perfectly fine. But I would take, I take a Sharpie. Let's say my bow is perfectly paper tuned. I did my broadhead tuning, walk back tuning, whatever it is, however elaborate you want to be. It doesn't even matter. If we just take our word for it and say it's good, take a Sharpie. And mark on the cams where the cables come across or on the limb where the cam should be. Mark with a Sharpie on your string, like where the peep is perfect. Mark your rest where it's perfect. Um, your sight as well. As just Then you always have a reference mark. If something happens or something moves, you can say, oh, well, why is that an eighth inch off? Or why is it, you know, why am I shooting here? And then you look and you figure out your cam is below your limb where your mark was or your cable is an inch away from where the mark was. You know, there's a lot of little things, and you might not know where the timing marks are on your cam, and you can do that with a Sharpie 
and I'm not saying, you know, doll everything up and sign your name left and right, but just little things like that on your bow. It saves a lot of time. It's just a quick check. And everything that I'm talking to you today about is going to be confidence. Because if you walk into the timber, you walk into the field being confident, you're already twice the hunter you were when you stepped, you know, out of the house. So from your bow, uh, a lot of times people overlook arrows, little things like check all your knocks. If you're shooting nocturnals, you know, did, did they happen to get moved? Are they indexed the same? Is everything the same when I started the season? Uh, are they working? Check over your veins, make sure nothing got cut, make sure everything's good. Look down the arrow shaft, go to your broadheads. Um, you know, I've seen it more often than not. Someone will come in and say, well, did you, did you miss one? Oh, no, no, I shot, I shot it. Shot a, shot a nice doe or shot a coyote or shot something. I said, well, why would you why would you put this back in your quiver? Why it's, it's full of blood and hair and dirt and mud and leaves. and Like, A, A, get rid of it. Or if it's very sentimental, clean it up and then sharpen it and then maybe put it back in i mean i'm I'm not if i if i whack something with an arrow it could be a chickadee i don't care it just that arrow's done it served its purpose and i go on to something else for that but just check over that on your arrows um your release not a lot can happen i mean unless you're carrying it in your pocket and you get some gunk in there and some trees or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or whatever it may be you know just check things over in your release and then the overall setup, again, like I'm saying, it makes you more confident. That way when you put your quiver on your bow and you walk out and, and set up wherever you may be, you have that. You know everything's checked out. From that purpose, that'll lead us right into our practice regimen. And, I, and I, again, I'm telling you, the day's going to be fast, but I'm just giving you a little fill-in podcast. Yeah, there's no guests today, just me talking. We'll get into the really cool podcasts uh they're coming, I promise you. But practice, this is this is where I I put a lot of pressure on myself. <clears throat> Everybody listening to this podcast knows, rather be a target archer or not, that nothing will duplicate a target animal in front of you. doesn't matter what your target animal is. You could be thriving for a 170-plus-inch deer, or you can be happy with a 110-inch buck or you can be happy with an adult doe we completely respect whatever your ideas are but nothing will duplicate the feeling that will happen when you have that animal in front of you preparing for the shot it's a uh, it's it's an addiction that that's, that's the reason we chase it and i mean i'll be the first to tell you is my own my mind goes batshit crazy i i lose every sense that i practice and I hope my instincts take over and and luckily in the past couple of years they do you know but I never practiced for that situation and what I mean by practicing for that situation is again the weather doesn't allow us to that you can go to the range and you can shoot 20 some ranges have 30 yards and that's great but this is what I do once a week at least if not a couple times a week it doesn't matter if it's cold, it doesn't matter if it's windy, it doesn't matter if it's raining, whatever. The, the worse, the better for me is what I say. <clears throat> I take my 3D animal, my 3D deer, or my Glendale buck or Reinhardt or whatever it may be, even just a 365 target, and I set it. My first, what I do when I walk out to the practice range outside is I take one arrow and one arrow only. Now, I practice with my broadheads and my lighted knocks. Everything is going to be duplicating exactly what I'm using the field. So uh, I shoot a mechanical broadhead. I have three of them that I have designated. I, I put Sharpie colored the blades black so I know that those are my practice ones. Uh, I shoot a broadhead that you can close and reuse. So that helps in aiding and just need the three. But I take one arrow. I don't have other arrows within reach. I don't have other arrows in the same shop. I don't even have another arrow in the truck that I can go get. I, I purposely have one arrow, and this is why, is I start at 20 yards, which I'm assuming everybody who's listening to this, 20 yards is going to be a chip shot by now. If it's not, not a problem, but you're going to have the most confidence at 20, right? So I take an arrow, just like I'm in a hunting situation. If I know that I'm going to be heading out to, let's say, North Dakota, and the high is going to be 40 and the low is going to be 20, I know that I'm probably going to be wearing my Stratus jacket 
Uh, I don't shoot with a face mask, but I do shoot with a light glove on my left hand and I shoot my hinge with no glove. I just keep my hand in my, my muff or hand warmers. So exactly, I get a jacket that's somewhat similar to that. I will draw back. I will pretend that it's the animal that I'm targeting. I'll hold a little bit longer than I need to, and I'll execute one shot. And hopefully I'm within an inch of where I need to be. Set my bow down. I will go get that arrow. I'll come back. I'll move back to 30 yards. I'll do the same thing. Go get that arrow. I'll come back 40 all the way to 50 yards usually is what I'm doing this time of year. I'm not shooting long bombs. I'm not shooting a bunch of groups. I'm not group tuning. I'm just one arrow because as much as I hear it, I mean, there are some situations where this won't be the same, but you're going to get one shot and one shot only. And what that's doing for me, especially that first shot at 20, is it's setting my mind, okay? I don't have a quiver full of five arrows. <clears throat> I can't group them and say that's good. I have one arrow to make perfect. So it's adding, uh, not, it's not the same pressure, but it's adding an environment that's going to be similar, similar to when I'm in the field if I'm blessed with that opportunity to come up, okay? So that's my one arrow <clears throat> practicing outside in the environment that I'm trying to duplicate for hunting, all right? It's called one arrow practice. I have Levi Morgan. I know I'm name dropping, but I learned that from him. And uh, once I started doing it, I, it, it does. It does put some pressure on you because you can't, you know, and I, I've been, I'll be honest and tell you, in the summer, I'll shoot, you know, eight arrows into a group and I'll have two or three of them that are one or two inches out of the group. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, as long as they're in a coffee cup, I'm, I'm okay with that. Well, it's not that's, you want every arrow to be perfect and having just one, you know, it's perfect. And if it's not, you need to figure out, you know, why it is. And that's back to what we were talking about on our, our preparation. But that, that practice outside gives me <clears throat> the next level of confidence, knowing whatever my target animal, if it shows up, I have the upper hand. Uh, I know that I'm 100% confident in my equipment. I have just duplicated this shot. Uh, I know that I can handle this, in whatever comes to you. Now, that's not the only time that I'm practicing during the week, okay? That's just my once or twice a week that I can, and I, I really, really recommend not doing this, not getting to camp or not just throwing out your bail and shooting two arrows at 20 yards and saying, yep, my bow's on and I'm good. I understand work is completely crazy. I understand you got a personal, you know, your family and your time is very, very valuable and archery practice is probably not. But you owe it to yourself because you put in the money and the time to enjoy this hobby and you owe it to the animal to be as lethal and ethical as you can. Now, the other side of practice, if I do, um, so where I shoot the shop that I got set up, I can only shoot 13 yards. Uh, indoor climate control it's always 70 degrees yada 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 but instead of having the same single spot or five spot target that I shoot at the range or that I'll shoot out on my 365 bales I have a 365 bale with the five little dots it's an inch I believe it's an inch maybe an inch and a half dot and uh, I'll shoot five arrows at that and I'll shoot you know I'll just go down and I'll shoot five ten arrows a night uh, or in the morning before work and, you know, it's, you just got to put it in your mind that you're going to do it. It's just kind of like working out. You know, either you're going to do it or you're going to do it half-assed. And, and I'd rather do it full. As I just come down and grab five arrows, grab my release, <clears throat> just get warmed up, get the muscles going there. And I, sh and I aim extremely small because you can do it in your basement. A lot of guys have, you know, 10 to 15 yards in their basement. Or you can go in your garage and shoot across. You can shoot 8 to 12 yards. I don't really care how far it is. It doesn't have to be far. You just... Get a smaller aiming point and make sure you're hitting that aiming point, you know, or they're close. And I just do that with field points and and the knocks that I have in there. Just, just I'm just shooting at what I'm doing. I'm getting making sure the instinct, my muscles are still there. I've I've seen it so many times. Now working for an awesome company, but getting more of a uh, customer build up. I guess you could say of good customers that and they'll. 
they come back and their head's hanging low and they had this awesome hunt and they got an opportunity at what they wanted to shoot and they either flubbed a shot or they pulled the shot or a bad hit. And don't get me wrong, it's going to happen, but they know why it happened. It's because they either rushed the shot or they hadn't been practicing for two weeks. They did everything as far as preparation that we talked about in our early season preparation. They did everything that they know except they forgot to shoot their bow a lot. So when the time came, they had to wake up some new muscles. They had to get steady. They had to somehow figure out how to control the adrenaline, and they didn't have practice doing that. So that's why I, I really, I really strongly encourage that one arrow at a time, 20 through 50 once a week, and then, you know, 30 arrows a day or every other day if you can get it fit in, just to keep you, keep you sharp and uh, to keep that where it needs to be. <clears throat> Excuse me on that. But it, it's, it's just so important to go through that. And a, a lot of times, you know, as we're, you guys will be listening to this. It's going to be a couple of days after Veterans Day or a day after. They, uh, it, it's starting to get colder. You know, we got highs in the 30s. We got a nice blanket of snow, which I really enjoy hunting in. And, uh, you know, we're going to start making that transition. We're kind of like, I mean, we're hitting the peak. I've seen more big deer shot from November 11th to November 17th, 18th in the last five years keep just you know a little tally and you get all their memories that are shared on facebook and this and that and it's just i mean we are right where we need to be minnesota obviously the first week in a gun was terrible on weather i felt so bad for all my buddies that were gun hunting 70 degrees and 40 mile an hour gusts and wind and guys hunting in their t-shirts and it just you know and we had some success uh, some guys were doing really good in the morning, late evenings, but it was more like September hunting than it was in the first week of November. And uh, as trends, you know, continue on, the gun season is nine days, I believe. I'm not a gun hunter, if you can't tell. But, uh, you know, now we we had just a huge change. We had a huge dump of snow and now colder weather and trail cameras have been popping. And guys are still gun hunting, but bow hunting overall it doesn't matter what you do just try to get out if you can if you're a weekend hunter awesome if you can do it during the week better especially public land you know it's going to be a little less congested but you need to be prepared for that opportunity where i'm going with this as far as colder weather is we may have practiced and we may hunt in a fanatic hoodie uh, or a hooded sweatshirt more or less in practice that way and we feel confident in that but have you had your big coat on with your bibs taking your hand out of a muff ranging an animal shooting with cold hands uh, shooting with a cold face you know if you're shooting a kisser button can you even feel it do you that's why i went to a nose bar a bow bar nose button you know because my nose is always going to be sensitive even when it's cold is i can feel that button so that's my anchor um you know, there's just a lot of things that guys don't think about when you're shivering, not because of adrenaline, but because you're not dressed warm enough. You know, can you handle that? How does your bow react in the cold? Can you draw? You may have your poundage set at 73 pounds uh, for all of summer and early season, and now you sit down and you're sitting for two and a half hours and you go to draw your bow. Can you do it? And there's nothing, nothing wrong with admitting saying, dude, that's, I can't pull it back. I just, it's not going to work. There's nothing wrong with going down a couple of pounds, getting comfortable. Yes, you may have to recite in, uh, but it's so much more worth it if you if you can't if you got a hurt and jerk and sky draw this time of year, then I mean I can't help you. It's just you have to check your equipment, and if you can't do it at a foam target, you're dang sure not going to be able to do it at a live animal. So that's, a, you know, check your weight on your bow. If you need to drop it down, bring it to the shop, and we can take care of you, and we can, you know, we get 20 yards at all three of our shops, and we can see exactly where you're hitting on that. If you need to move your sight down just a little bit or pin gaps, you know, that's kind of on your shoulders, but there's nothing wrong with with setting that up. And if you, if, you, uh, if you hunt in a blind, you know, a lot of guys will make the transition from a tree stand to a, a box blind or a blind with windows that is heated or can kind of take the elements off. Are you used to shooting in a blind? You know, can you shoot through a four-inch window, vertical window that you've never shot through before, or uh, an eight-inch window that's horizontal? <clears throat> you know, have you ever thought about where's my sight and where's my arrow? 
you know, just little things to look at in our mid-season practice, mid-season preparation. Uh, it's all, it all adds up and it all goes to it. We have some awesome, awesome products in the shop that will help with our mid-season, late-season um, like I say, I can't give you a lot of tactics on deer hunting because I'm not a professional deer hunter. I can tell you what I do, but, you know, that's not fair. I, everybody everybody does their own thing, and everybody has success. We save those stories for the shop. <clears throat> but I will take you here in just a bit on a little ride. Uh, so, so, so far, my Minnesota success, just to share that. So going back over to our equipment, we talked about our paper tune. If you need us to tune or if you need us to want to check it up um, every day, we probably have somebody come in and just say, hey, would you give me a once over? Can you look over my bow? Can you just put it in the draw board, make sure the cams are timed? And the, the, here's a personal story. I went on a hunt, the successful hunt I'm telling you about in Minnesota, and uh, harvested a, a good buck. I'm very, very happy with him. And in, the, in tracking the animal, the high fives, the great pictures, my bow riding in, my side-by-side, back i put it in my truck i got home forgot about it more or less took care of the animal went back to work it was a couple days before i decided i was going to shoot again and then we had that big warm snap um i shot my buck october 30th so we had a big warm snap about a week ago and uh, i just went out just walked right to 40 yards on my reinhardt elk that i have out at the farm and i was a foot to the left eight inches high Hit him right in the neck. Okay. Now remember that what I just said, because I'm going to tell you a story in a little bit that relates to what I just told you. So I was hitting a foot to the left and high right or high eight inches. So I, you know, I do this every day. I work on bows every day. Why, why am I off? So I went back in. I sighted the bow back in. I moved my sight over and, and kind of got things rolling back to it. I come back into the my shop. First thing I did is I hung a piece of paper, and my bow was out of tune. Um, my cams were just a little bit out of time. I had a tail right tear, so I had to, I had to shift top hat. I was on my VXR. I had to top hat my bow a little bit, retime the cams. Uh, I don't know what happened in 35 days of hunting. <clears throat> but obviously something did. And in those 35 days, I only hunted three of them. So that's telling you that it can happen at any time. But anyways, I was out of tune. My bow was out of time. I retuned, paper tuned it, did everything, got it back in the spec. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have that in my, my shop so I didn't have to go to work, but it, we, we did it at work, whatever, same scenario. Went back to the range the next day and uh, right back where it needed to be was wrecking fletchings and just completely 100% confident check, like, ready, okay? Now, my next hunt is going to start in a couple of days. going to head out west, kind of do things opposite of most guys, but I go west late and here early. But long story short, that bow and my other bow, I'm completely ready. Uh, if I wouldn't have checked that, God only knows what would happen if I did get an opportunity and didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, I was I was... I checked it and it worked out and that leads us to where I'm going with the story. Okay. Again, I'm not a professional hunter and you're going to hit sound like a broken record. I don't shoot big bucks. You can look down in my shop here. Uh, the biggest deer that I have on the wall is 130 inches. Um, you know, and I have a lot of them right there in that 120 range, 130, and you can judge me if you want to. I don't care. Uh, every one of them I got a cool story about. I smile when I see them. I like it. They're deer that we've grown on our farm and some out-of-state deer, and it is what it is. Uh, and those are whitetails that I'm talking about. We have some pretty cool muleys as well. But So my 2020 Minnesota whitetail season, it uh, started. My very first sit was October 5th. It was uh, mid-high 60s, I'd say. I was going to say low 70s. I uh, went to a stand that we always has have a lot of success with. We're up in, uh, let's just say, west central Minnesota. will work. And uh, in this stand, my brother had killed a really, really nice deer the year before to the same exact stand. I have shot. This will make four bucks out of that stand. 
my cousin has shot a buck out of that stand, big drop tine deer that we knew very well. It's just it's just one of those that work well, and uh, <clears throat> we got a great team. Our food plots were amazing. But back to the hunt, I got out there, and I more or less, I, I didn't have a plan on shooting a doe early season. I just wanted to kind of see if I get my eyes. Trail cameras were showing us once in a while. You know, every other day, every two or three days, we'd have a buck. Most of the time, we would get some daylight pictures there, you know, right at prime time and a bunch of nocturnal pictures. But we have uh, some incredible food plots, and we have bedding area, staging area, food plots, crop fields this year it's all soybeans so again if you can lay that out in your head from south to north bedding that we never go in staging where you can still see the animal they can look out into it food plots when i say a food plot a couple acres a piece this is this would be like four football fields of individual food plots it's two separate food plots and then i have 200 acres of soybeans okay so october 5th The beans were not where they wanted to be at that moment. Uh, They were yellow or turning yellow, and if if not, some of them were even combined. So we started to hunt, got out early, hung my uh, radial, and everything was going. Camo was washed. Uh, I don't do a lot of sense early season like that. Sat down. Very first thing I seen uh, were some tom turkeys. If you're friends with me on Instagram, I had some two-year-olds that were just, just tempting me. And uh, there was one in there, and I'm talking to Mac Daddy. He was a three- or four-year-old tom, and he led the pack. Seen them about 100 yards, and they were working. And the reason that I, I knew they were working towards me is their roost tree is about 40, 50 yards behind where I was sitting. And uh, I knew that they were going to be close. And if you've never seen a turkey in the fall, you think they're skittish in the spring, you ought to see them in the fall because you have six. I had some time. There was some jakes in, in that mix, but they're all big boys, and they're big boys for a reason, just like the deer. They always are watching. And in a rat pack like that, there's always one or two that are watching. So I was always, I was always keeping my eye on them turkeys. Usually when you see turkeys, you see deer because they know what's comfortable. And uh, the very first deer I seen, so again, I'm facing directly west, and uh, I have a, in that predicament, I had a straight west wind and a deer coming from my south. Most of them anyways, that I thought. And I had a young fawn, button buck, I don't know what it was. You can kind of just see the, there's still foliage on the trees in the food plot. It was a deadly dozen mix, uh, rather put in, and they're just devouring it. The then I seen some does and fawns, and then I had a group of fawns and does kind of frolicking, I guess you could say, playing. Busted by me, went in just making a racket. Everything was cool. Turkeys kind of flustered out in the beans, and then they kind of worked their way back. And I kept seeing deer off to my left, which is the south. And I'd see legs, and then I'd have to look kind of through, you know, the oak trees that we have there, and then I could pick out what it was. I seen a deer lot bigger body than any of the other deers and when i could get a look at him and he was only 60 yards away it's just getting a look at him through the leaves uh it's a deer that we called wide load he's uh 21 inches wide on the inside and here pretty soon you'll understand why i know that but uh as soon as he lifted his head uh panic started you know the uh leg shaking the heart thumping trying to control myself it was my very first hunt in minnesota this year and i have one of our target bucks 60 yards from me in a food plot was not prepared i was not mentally prepared physically you know it is what it is and shooting wise i thought i was but long story short that uh that even that went on and he the first time i seen him was like 538 if i recall right he came and had every buck in the county it seemed like snort wheezing clanking the horns together sparring friendly but yet aggressive grunting carrying on not there wasn't even a hint hint of pre-rut around but these bucks were just like a bunch of guys you know first football practice in the locker room and uh, i heard more vocalization and i've never heard a snort wheeze probably three times in my life and i must have heard it four or five times including him wide load was doing it and uh, I had 
eight bucks. Everything from a 120 inch eight to a basket rack six to Spiker to Y buck to his brother to another eight and another little 10 that was kind of junky. And I have like a little bottleneck, right? Food plot in front of me, a bottleneck with a tree row, fence row. We took the fence out and then a couple of trees where I'm at, 25 yards, bottleneck, 25 yards, boom. Every buck, 25 yards, 25 yards. Then they turn around, they chase each other out in 25 yards. And I could see him coming. And I'm like, okay, I got stood up. And this is 550. I think legal shooting was 615 or 630 or something. Maybe I don't even remember what it was. You have to look that up. But uh, he's coming. I'm like, okay. And then target starts, panic starts setting in again. Heart, I can, you, if you were then 300 yards of me, you could have heard my heart racing. And, uh, he comes within, he's now closed the gap to 40. He's running right down the trail, walking right down the trail. It's going to be 25. And then he stops, and I can see him, you know, because I got my hand on my bow and my release, and I'm ready. And he stops, and then he kind of turns, and then he turns away, and I'm like, okay, well, now i got to look at him. Binoculars, just fumbling around. And he turns, and he goes with some does, and he chases another buck off the food plot. Now he's Now he's at 100 yards away from me going into a different food plot, but still out in front of me. And the other deer boogered off. And in the meantime, these turkeys have come in and now are at eight yards from me. I'm 18 feet in a tree. And this one Tom Turkey has got a 16-inch rope. It's probably not, but I mean, it is the biggest Tom I have seen that I have not shot that close in my life. And I've shot a lot of birds, not bragging, just saying so do you turn and shoot this gobbler because I have a fall turkey tag or do you worry about this deer that you've targeted for 150 days since you first seen him and of course you know what I, I'm not worried about the turkeys so you almost want to like spook them off because then they, they'll just ruin they can ruin your day so they start pitching up into the roost tree every time they pitch up every deer and there's 30 deer out in front of me now and around me lift their head okay everything's good next one to go they lift their head and they move off you know 15 20 yards well then it goes five ten minutes and i don't see him and i'm panicking and it's getting you know i got maybe 10 15 minutes left of shooting light and there he comes right out in the food plot he's at 80 yards then he's at 70 yards and he comes in to 60 is the mark and instead of keeping coming on that you know kind of has to cut across the food plot into some tall grass it's not it's not part of our food plot which he's not going to do that so he turns and he's at 60 yards 60 yards 60 yards and i know i'm going to get some emails on this but uh i ranged him he had no clue i was there he was eating he's looking at does and other deer in the feed food plot 60 yards i pulled back absolutely no limbs wide wide open shot uh found this the magic honey hole that you know picking a hair letting my pin float kind of drifted off to the shoulder coming back i thought it was back far enough kind of though and i shoot a hinge if you haven't watched the videos or any of our other podcasts so i'm executing my shot and it breaks and at that moment or that time i was not shooting a lighted knock okay this is a little tip if I could give anything, it was not, it was, I still had 15 minutes before legal shooting time was over, but it was just no sun. And I was shooting white fletchings. By the time the arrow got to the deer, I could not see where I hit the animal. So I broke the shot, bow went off. Thump. I could see him react. He ducked. Now he's facing south or he's facing north. His butt south. I'm facing straight west. So that gives you a perfect broadside shot, 60 yards. Okay. He wheeled to the left. So he went towards his driver door side. When he ducked and he wheeled, and I heard the arrow hit him in the way he reacted, his tail tuck went up, tuck, tuck, went up, tuck, and he bolted like you yeah, haven't seen a deer ever bolt, right? But I had mixed emotions at that moment because I did not know. I could not track that arrow to the animal. So, like we always do, group text, text everyone that I may be a hero, maybe a zero, meet everybody back at the shop. So we did that two hours, 
had dinner, had a pizza, figured things out, said, let's go look. We're, and that's what one thing that we, we take a lot of pride in is doing things, you know, as a group. Six eyes are a lot better than two, you know, eight is a lot better than four, yada, yada, yada. So uh, first thing we drive drive the dad side by side right up into the food plot and he's got big led lights and the arrow sticking right out through there so it's passed through drive right up in the arrow not a lot of that wasn't coated in blood but there was blood it was a pass through and i had blood and uh my youngest brother he walked 10 feet said blood okay so we're all got our lights and we're like blood 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 and you know one of those blood trails where you can just kind of look forward and go you don't you're not down on your hands and knees you're not looking you're not ever stopping you're just like so right then i was like oh man i did perfect i don't know where i hit him but i hit him good enough that we got like a nosebleed blood trail i would compare it to followed it followed it followed it and of course we all got onyx maps or hunt wise so we're tracking our track and it's telling us how many yards and we get to 100 yards and we find a little bit more blood Get to about 150 yards and just massive pile on the right side and the left side. So like, okay, um, this is phenomenal. Kind of get excited, like should be here any second. And then things dwindle to just drops. Drops turn into specks. Specks turns off to just rubbing it on the tall grass. So we backed out. We went about 160 yards on our on our GPS from where I shot him. So figured we jumped him. It was pretty windy that night. I kind of felt bad and you had that, you know, a stupid night of your gut feeling just wasn't, wasn't a good shot. We jumped him. Everything's going wrong. So the next day went back and, uh, we started about nine in the morning, kind of let everything feed off and get back to their bedding. Went and, uh, looked, we couldn't, we found one more spot of blood just a little bit further than what we did. And then, uh, we couldn't find any blood and we combed the area. Started out with, uh, five of us, went down to three of us and then, uh, down to just two of us. And then I stayed and looked for a little bit more. And I mean, I walked, if you were looking at my iWatch, I had more steps in that day than I probably had in three weeks at the shop and, uh, just couldn't couldn't figure it out couldn't have an answer to the story so i was living in that pit i guess you could say that feeling of man you, you do all this you're supposed to be good at what you do and then this happens and from a dog and a drone it just you know couldn't find anything so after a day and a half of looking and and feeling terrible uh just kind of regroup went home wasn't gonna hunt here for a day or two go back to work Three days later, and we have cell cameras out. So we get, at that time, the cell cameras are set for every three hours, and it was exactly five days later. I'd let the neighbors know they're really, really good people, and they kind of keep tabs on deer as we do, and they're very good at the QDMA, and they're excited for me, but yet watching out for me and watching for crows and the whole nine yards, and they didn't see nothing. and Texting back and forth, and they kind of fell off, and we weren't worried about it. Five days later, I got a picture of him. Walking away from trail camera, looked just fine. Tried to zoom in and figure out where, you know, if there's a white speck or if there's blood leaking down, nothing. I mean, you, today's phones, you can really highlight pictures and make them good. Didn't see nothing. So that, that, was, the, that was the end of the story. I was good. He's live. I don't know where I hit him, but I got the arrow. Uh, it was a great hunt. Seen all that. Long story short, was done. Okay, fast forward, like the 17th, uh, 19th, somewhere in there, went out and I hunted pretty close to where I was hunting. I, when I say pretty close, within a quarter mile. Uh, seen a bunch of does, fawns. Uh, I was going to shoot at a doe. She picked me off, and I just didn't happen in there. I didn't see any shooter bucks, and that was our very first snow. So if we track in October, that was the very first snow that we had, and I uh, didn't shoot anything. Then fast forward to October 30th, and I know I'm, well, hopefully some of you are still interested in the story to see where it's going, but uh, October 30th is uh, when I headed back up on that chunk of property, and we have one stand exactly, and 90, what was it, 93 yards, I think Kyle tells me, uh, that's my middle brother, from the stand I shot him in to a stand that I hung last year called the rut stand. And the reason being is it just gets tore up with sign as far as rubs, scrapes. It's a big, 
outside corner turn on a bean field. That way you have a pretty established road. The oak trees, limbs hang over. So the, the when we plant beans or corn or whatever it may be, they're not that close to the timber. So it's like a perfect natural lick branch just loaded with scrapes. And I had rubs is from trees that were six inches wide to, you know, a little sapling, just buck brush. And, and we're still only like 100 yards from the bedding. And uh, walked in there. Uh, I, did, I did go ahead and bring in some kind of freshen up some scrapes just to see if it would work. I don't know if you believe in that or not, but we'll get some pretty cool scents at the shop. I'll try to speed things up here for you. But So I was sitting there. It was the uh, first deer I seen was a little Y buck and then some button bucks and some does and fawns, and they're kind of together, and they feed out in the beans. The beans are exactly 50 yards behind me and to the left of me at this point, and then out in front of me, but they're 200 yards from me there. And... uh they're feeding out the beans, and the beans are, it's its kind of warm. It's warmed up, and things are brittle. I had a little bit of snow on the ground, but things have kind of dried back out. So they're just loud. You know, you can hear the deer walking through the beans, and everything is kind of just shaping up to be good. And I had an eight-pointer that I probably would have shot if it was a close enough shot, but it wasn't. He, he worked this, what we call like a, a buck brush. I don't even know what it's really thorny crap you don't want to walk through. But... uh He'd worked his way through there, and he did react when I'd grunt. He'd stop and look and kind of, you know, get aggressive, and, and he was actually uh, making a pretty good rub, and then he chased off another buck, grunting. Went out and checked some does, but they weren't having nothing to do with him. They are just filling their bellies. So I was like, okay, that's, that's a pretty cool hunt. You know, I get to see a pretty good buck and this and that. I figured, ah, you know what? Guys at work are having some luck with rattling. They're rattling in some small deer, and I'm going to try it. So I got the... I got the old rattle, rattle, uh, actually rattling antlers, not, uh, not a bag. And I bang them things together like every Buckmaster's real tree, Michael Waddell, Levi Morgan taught me how to do ever since I was little. Right. And I cleared the field. Every deer that was out there, probably 25 deer. I mean, took off like somebody shot them and they were on it. I, I kind of actually chuckled. I'm like, Oh, you big crap just sucks. Right. Deer gone. I just ruined the hunt. Why are you rattling? October 30th. You, you never had any success doing that. So I put everything away and kind of sit down. Kind of felt pathetic, I guess you could say. I figured oh, I'll stand up for the last, you know, 45 minutes here and just in case. And I look out across the beans. This is maybe 300 yards from me. I had a little cut, natural drainage. Um, some people do that on purpose this is just established there it's like a terrace i guess you could say and uh this was a gym dandy of magnificent very high not real wide but just thick you can just look at them without binoculars and go man that's that's an awesome deer so i started grunting i snort wheezed i tried everything but rattling i and then i even tinkled them together just to get his attention he would look but he he wasn't he wasn't meant to be around me at that time, and I'm facing into the tree that I'm you know kind of looking over the right hand side, and uh, as I'm doing all that, I kind of it was quiet. I was look trying to get a good look at him to see what buck it was. You know, now he's maybe two seventy five, two hundred fifty yards, which with a ten by forty two you can get a pretty good look at him. But I'm still shaking, and out of nowhere I hear this just real deep you know nasty like almost you'd think somebody had a real grunt tube and was doing it and if that if a deer would have been looking at me I, he would have spooked because i wheeled around i mean like you do in high school cheerleading you just like did a heel click and tapped around to look and see where this comes because it's kind of scared me you know and i see feet 35 yards away and i see this tree moving and i'm looking and i'm looking like what and you know what this is okay this is cool and then I see him. He lifts his head up, and it's wide load. Telltale sign how wide he is. Short tines. Uh, he's a he's a ten pointer, but he's he's kind of short on his tines. But he's just wide. You don't see a twenty one inch deer every day. And uh, he looked up, 
And I'm like, oh, baby. So I turn. I got my bow. Got the release. He's on a, he's on a trail. It's going to come 25 yards straight in front of me. Uh, away from the stand is what we say. So uh, that's where he was going. And then he stopped and he kind of kept going back to the left a little bit in that thick buck brush kind of cockleberry crap. And I grunt every time I'd grunt, he would trash whatever tree was around. He made two scrapes in that sentence. He, he just, I mean, and not just rub his antlers, like trying to put his scent. I mean, he would trash it. And the whole time, just, burr, burr, burr. and I'm, you know, I'm trying to match him and go back and forth. And, but he would never commit. Like he wouldn't come out in the open because he could see in the open and there was nothing there talking to him. And, uh, he kind of got to where I needed to turn now, so I'm facing back to the tree looking over the left, and he could have went to the left out into the green food plot where I shot him the first time, or he could go to the right into the beans. Now, I tried to grunt, try to snort wheeze, and I didn't do any rattling them horns I threw away by now, and uh, which, in hindsight, was probably the reason he came when I was beaten off and cleared the field, I probably got him to come in that. But long story short, I had remembered way back in the day, my brothers had bought a Primos um, uh, heat bleat or something, dough in a can. It, was, it sounds like a, uh, I think it is called a bleat or whatever, but it goes, you know, how you tip it over and it's got the little air holes. Well, I switched my grunt tube, has a dough and a fawn and a, and a buck, Switched it to dough, and I did just exactly that. Just meh. And he picked his head up. Instead of getting mad at that, he turned, kind of looked in my direction, and started walking. So I'd ranged. There's a rock pile from the, the old farmers back in the day. had a big rock pile right on the other side of that. And there's a little bit of snow on the ground, so I knew where the trail was. Ranged it as 25.2 yards. And I uh, shoot a three-pin fixed with a slider, so I had a 25 and a 30. He came there. I drew, and I have my harness on. I had a muddy ambush harness. I had to flip it over my head. I had to draw, make sure there's no limbs in my cams, top cam, everything's good. And he got right there to that mark, cleared the brush, and I just marked. And he stopped, and he didn't look at me, but he looked out. And I just executed, and I, this time I found the point of the shoulder and stayed there stayed there and just pow and it, it hit just a loud whack and he mule kick like you never seen and the arrow i didn't get a pass through but the arrow stuck in him i have a pink lighted knock and i could see it bounding 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 and then it disappeared and then the old emotions came up from nowhere and and i called my middle brother and talked to him a little bit and texted and everything was like that we went back to the deal come back an hour later Knew that I'd smoked him. Just one of those feelings, you know, I was pumped. And uh, we went out there. Track job had a little bit of snow. It was easy. It was 80 yards. And it was 30 yards behind the stand that I'd shot him the first time. Got up to him. Everything was awesome. It was just a great, great, you know, sense of accomplishment. I've seen this buck twice, and I've shot him twice. And the first thing that we did, we looked where I shot him, and we got to him, and we looked where it was. And so... Looking at an animal, there's a right, if you were holding the rack, okay, or the deer's looking away from you on the right side, that's where I'd shot him first on October 5th. And I hit him in the base of the neck in front of the shoulder. So I'd pulled my shot. And then when he wheeled and turned, so hit the base of the neck and came out the neck. It was a perfect, clean neck pass through shot. I was half an inch below his vertebrae and an inch and a half above his jugular. Perfect incision where the broadhead went in and came out. When we caped him out, there was no black meat. There was no scar. It was, all it was was a perfect cut right through just muscle. That's all it was. And that explains the blood and explains why we jumped him and explains why he didn't die. But uh, just an awesome, awesome feat and... Uh, I was very, very proud to have that deer and that cool story and and glad that he will be on the wall soon to come. And, of course, you can check out our Tree Country Facebook page and my own and as well as that. But, and, and, of course, again, I'm going to repeat, I'm not a professional hunter. I just I like telling stories and I like to get into them. I'm passionate about it. But I hope you guys all enjoyed this. Just giving you a little midseason practice, a little 
tips and pointers that have helped all of us, you know, things that can easily go overlooked. And uh, like you say, we have some awesome podcasts coming up with the new bow releases, the ones that we already have in the shop. We're going to talk to some of the the geeky techs that are awesome and building them. And, and we're also going to talk to the guys from the bow companies that haven't released yet because they when they do release. And this year with no ATA show, we're going to be seeing new products just pouring in left and right. And, of course, being uh, blessed with the opportunity, we're going to have the products probably before anyone else does. And uh, I just want to encourage everybody to keep at it. If you haven't got your target animal or your tags are still open, keep at it. Some of the best hunting in in the business is coming. I mean, in the season, I guess you could say. So uh, put the grind down and put your head down and keep practicing a couple times during the week. And cold practice, one arrow practice is what we were doing. And. Just have a lot of fun and then stop in the shop. If you have any you have any inclination that your bow is not where it needs to be or things are not happening, we can check it over. It only takes five, ten minutes. It's not, I promise, it's not quite like it was busy season where you had to wait for us, which we surely respect and appreciate all of our customers. Had one of the best years ever and uh, still having great, great time and super busy. But just come in and see us and, you know, ask us about what we're using and ask us what's working and what are other guys doing and trail cameras and, and what can we do for mid-season preparation? What are you doing for late season? How do I adjust my trail cameras to where they need to be? And you know, what do I need to do for my equipment? Do I need to switch? Do I need to do this? Just bring in a list of questions and we're there to visit with you and we're there to, to help you through it. So a lot coming up. We appreciate everybody listening. Thank you, and uh, this is Wade Grinnaker. We'll see you on down the road, my friends. Thank you for listening to Archery Country Podcast. 